the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together and uh, with you in a few moments. We'll talk with John Schlafly. He's got a column out. We'll visit with him on his column also about some of the... uh, uh, some of the doings and goings on in the many, many legal proceedings that Donald Trump is uh, stuck in uh, and a whole lot more. But for oh, and I'll finish. You'll want to listen to the last segment of the show. Um, you can also go online at, at Eagle Ed Martin. Go there or go to uh, Eagle. Excuse me. Uh, uh, Pro America Report. Um, uh, dot com and check out there. I'll write about it there. Uh, but you're going to want to check out this last segment. Uh, Elon Musk announced that um, SpaceX did do all the paperwork and they moved their incorporation from Delaware down to um, Texas. And you'd say, well, that's interesting. Um, you know, uh, is that better for taxes? Well, it could have already been better for taxes if they just moved the headquarters, right? Um, if you move your headquarters, one of the reasons people don't realize the reason Amazon has dual headquarters now is because Seattle, Washington is a terrible place for taxes, incredibly high and and getting higher. So they moved to Virginia where they have better taxes. It's still a little bit. There's still, you know, it's not quite uh, some places where it's even lower, but it's close to Washington. But they made it sound like Amazon did that. They were moving a a second headquarters to be nearer to um, the capital. Uh, They really were getting out of Seattle. I talked with an Amazon uh, senior level guy about a month ago. He was telling me, yeah, we knew we had to uh, get these way too many uh, workers were making good salaries and paying high, high taxes. And then there were increasing taxes on every aspect of living uh, and and working in Seattle, including on the corporation for homelessness, all kinds of stuff and threatening to do more. So the point is people will move for taxes, but you can move your official headquarters to another state, but stay incorporated in a state. Well, we'll talk about that in the last segment of the show on Elon Musk and the move and my pitch make West Virginia great. I'm not sure again, but make it great right now. I'll tell you about that in a moment. But first, let me get to you. I've got a column that posted over at AMAC. AMAC is the Association of Mature Adults, excuse me, Association of Mature American Citizens, uh, AMAC, a great group, AMAC.us. And they asked me for a column to write a little bit on the law. And so I wrote a piece over there and I'll post it up online, but it's about how, and, and this is the key part of it. I have to say, this is the key part. 
And, uh, and there's a great editor over there, uh, a young guy. Um, uh, actually, you know, when you do editing, uh, when you get edited, you, you don't know for sure uh, how it's going to play out. I, so I was actually edited by uh, this guy. Uh, I haven't met him yet. I haven't met him. I've only only connected with him through uh, through these columns. And um, but he his, his name is Shane. And Shane uh, basically said, hey, good column, uh, you know, good essay. But bring up to the front the the sort of assertion. So you see it right away. Well, he did an even better job of that in my mind, because the headline which he wrote is Biden forces constitutional crisis over Texas border standoff. Okay. And if you go through this piece, I wrote it and you're going to post it again at proamericareport.com. You go to amac.usa at newsline is their main service. You can find it there and I'll put that link up, but here's the thing. Uh, at a certain point in in this in this four year term of Joe Biden, you, you look at it and you say he has intentionally sought to create these constitutional crises. He has policy uh, uh, positions and uh, strategies with tactics that have caused this to happen. So first, the example, you know, you say, well, uh, a lot of the decisions about the Department of Justice, how they've done what they've done. You say, wow, this is causing a, a, a crisis in our legal, our criminal justice system. Right. As of January 6th, as to Trump, as to the notion of due process, strain on the judicial, the courts. You're like, oh, man, that's not going the right direction. Now, he, he has not done what Biden, uh, what Obama did, which was say out loud, I got a phone and a pen. I'll just do what I want. But a lot of things he's been doing and the crisis on the border might be the best example. And the reason why is only because I, I have to say this. This is a funny thing to admit. If Biden wasn't such a pig, he wouldn't have caused this problem, meaning he went hog wild to continue the metaphor and allowed you know chaos at the border. And it's the chaos that has forced the states to take the crisis up. You see, usually the states and I was chief of staff to a governor. I lived through it. I was there. Usually the state state of Missouri in that case are they they have, a, you know, they have a lot of um, a lot of things that are going on in their state that rely on the federal government being good to them. So, you know, whether it's uh, Medicaid uh, payments, whether it's a regulatory lineup of issues on, say, clean water, all different kinds of things where the states have to play ball with the federal government. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm saying it's a reality. And therefore, they don't like to rock the boat. They really don't. Uh, on the Second Amendment, if you if you were a, a Second Amendment, strong Second Amendment state under a, a liberal like Obama or, or Biden, you're constantly having to figure out as a governor or attorney general, what's the tension? Because you're going to be worked over. They're going to do things that are regulating things on the edges of actual gun control to try to make life miserable and to brag about it. Anyway, my point on this in this piece is that. And, and there's a couple of things. One is I hope you'll look at it and understand what the problems are, what's going on with the case, DHS versus Texas. And it's about this conflict between states that are saying we're going to lock our border. We're going to do what we have to keep our people safe. And the federal government saying that they're going to go and and uh, and, and do what they want. And so much so that they were uh, the federal government's cutting uh, the uh, the razor wire of the Texas uh, uh, border uh, authorities who are trying to block things. But so the point here is. We have to have this. Our federalist system has to have the power and, and it's not one or the other. It's divided and it's not equal always. So the federal government does have the, the constitutional duty to secure the border treaties and otherwise. But it's not exclusive. 
of Texas's right to protect its citizens, to Texas's right to kind of to govern. And so the, uh, you know, the, the federalism and my, my one sentence, one paragraph I like a lot is I refer to uh, um, uh, I refer to the fact that, uh, that federalism is a concept that not everyone learns um, about in high school or they hear about in high school, but they don't remember what it means. And I say it's like the Pythagorean theorem or e equals MC squared. And then later I say this, unlike math or science, federalism has no magic formula to govern its implementation or even how it works. In the case of the United States, the balance between the federal government and the states is a crucial piece of how the American Republic works. When that balance is disrupted, a constitutional crisis ensues. So what Joe Biden, again, has done is by being a hog, meaning he may have had a preference on the border. He could have had a preference that was within the range of sanity. He could have said, I don't like um, I don't like a refugee system that um, that is uh, too hard on people who claim X. That's not what he did. He said anyone who says X or anything else gets refugee status. That's what that's what they're doing here. And so and he's created this crisis. And back, you know, I didn't use the quote. I think maybe it got cut. I don't know if I had it in the original or I cut it myself before it got over to Shane, the editor. But here's the thing. I wanted to use the phrase, the old, you know, mainstay that American politics will refer to for the rest of our history And that is under Obama, who wanted to fundamentally transform America. And in many ways, he did. His chief of staff said early on, never let a good crisis go to waste. In other words, if you have a crisis, if it's thrust upon you, use it. And if you in my in my my experience now, if you look at what Biden has done, he has forced a constitutional crisis on this country. And then guess what? The crisis gets to be solved. It gets to be solved by the Biden administration and by the DHS and Mayorkas impeached or not has put us on this, uh, not on this path. He's put us in the midst of a constitutional crisis and one that is, is going to be, I hope resolved with um, uh, by the Supreme court and, and managed uh, as you're going, you know, as we go forward, but it's the balance and in a nation where more and more, of the mainstream media, the the big media and big tech are working in this case with big government. You all know it. The narrative machine, big tech, big media and big government putting people into a crisis mode, fighting amongst themselves instead of honoring and understanding the balance of federalism and our republic. It's it's a crisis like we haven't seen. There hasn't been anybody who has been uh, like this. There's no president in history that's been like what Biden did. Even Obama In many ways, Obama was uh, he wasn't less extreme. He wasn't less radical. He was more subtle. He was sneakier. Obamacare, for example, the quote that Obama has always said is this isn't as good as I wanted. I wanted more socialized medicine, but this is going to screw the system up so badly that eventually they'll ask to fix it. That's what he basically said. This isn't good enough. I wanted all the socialism, but it's good enough to make a royal mess of it. And then they'll beg us to fix it. Remember? Never let a crisis go to waste. And if you can cause a crisis and you can be the ones that fix it, then you can fix it the way you want for your advantage, which is exactly why most people I know that are thoughtful say this upcoming election is a really big one. Yeah, everybody says it's the biggest in the history. This is a really big one. If you if you believe that these constitutional crises are not accidental, they're intentional and they're ongoing. You got to do something different. 
And that's what you need to know. We got to take a break. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Our old friend Scott Phelps joins us. He runs Extraordinary. We just was hearing from him. I'm, I'm Again, I joke with people uh, that we talk off the air. And, uh, but the Absence and Marriage Education Partnership, uh, extraordinary organization, been around for many years. AMP. AMPartnership.org is the website. AMPartnership.org says absence and marriage uh, education partnership. Um, educating and uh, teaching. Uh, got a lot of curriculum and resources over on the website. Scott, how are you? Doing well. Thank you, Ed. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. First, I want to ask you, uh, we were talking a moment ago about what you're up to and how uh, in the coming weeks you'll be training teachers directly, but uh, just broadly, a kind of cultural comment for you. Um, when you see, I don't know, just everything that's going on in the culture, and, and even I, I think I thought of you because, um, well, I think Planned Parenthood rolled out, I know what it was, they rolled out that video, horrendous, uh, haunting actually, of a woman, uh, Planned Parenthood employee saying that uh, virginity is just a, a construct of your mind. You can just what it means for you and i was like i, I mean I, I don't even i don't know what to do with this it's like, almost like a saturday, saturday night live skit but that's kind of where we are in the culture I, how, how how is it uh, going what do you what's your sense yeah really unbelievable isn't it and i think that's why it's so critical that what we're doing is communicating clearly to our young people they are living in a world of lies and they are literally starving to death for truth and so one of the reasons why I think our message works so well is because it is fundamentally true and it comports with their nature. And then when they hear it, they're like, oh, my goodness, because, look, they can see through all the lies, but it's hard because they're under. It's like they're being waterboarded by lies. Right. They're right. Just, having their head held underwater. It's just awful. And so what we need to do is really uh, lift up the truth in front of them. And when we have the opportunity to do that, they respond really, really well. So yeah, that, that video, you know, I've said for years, boy, it'd be great if we get some videos in the classroom to show people what's actually being taught in our schools. And that's yeah. right there. Yeah. That is that message, believe it or not, is out there. And Planned Parenthood is the largest provider of sex education in American schools. Sex education is corrosive to the national soul. And you can see it there. You can see it in that video. And there is a series of cartoons, actually. Uh, people can go to amaze.org, amaze.org, and they can look at some videos, cartoons for kindergarten through 12th grade that are made available to schools and used by schools across the country that are just like that video. And they're cartoons for little kids. Wow. Well, I, I guess that's why. I mean, in some some sense, you're you're never going to be out of work. Uh, Scott Phelps, our guest again, because uh, the absence in marriage education partnership is so important. Now, the mission there, of course, is to uh, I like how you say it, ensure that every teenager in the country has the opportunity to hear a clearly reasoned, positive presentation on the benefits of abstinence until marriage and instruction on prepare and instruction on preparing for healthy future marriage. Um, Scott, tell me what you were tell my listeners what you were saying off the air about your, the coming weeks. You've got all these trainings. I think it's it got me energized to hear, you know, the direct contact you're having with the teachers. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, uh, Ed. What we do, so our curriculum division provides materials for schools 
to essentially replace sex education, right? That's what we exist to do. We exist. It's it's not enough to stand in front of the school with the picket sign saying, you know, stop teaching condoms and contraception to our kids. Stop teaching sexual identity and gender identity to our kids. It's not enough to oppose the bad. You've right. got to provide the good. And so what we're all about is doing exactly that, providing schools a helpful alternative rather than just saying, don't do bad. Here's something that you can do that's good. And so we equip and inform and actually educate educators who will teach the kids. So what we were talking about offline is uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks, uh, I will travel to eight cities where our curriculum division will provide training seminars for public school teachers and private school for that matter, but most of our work is public schools. And then the Illinois Department of Education will provide those teachers with five hours of professional development credit. So we have a partnership with the Department of Education because our whole what what we don't want to do is be an outside group coming in. We want to work from the inside. We want to work with the educational establishment to equip them and train them to teach good and healthy material. And that's what we're doing. And so we have teachers uh, that come to our training seminars Either they already teach this and want to learn more about it, or they have no idea about it. They're typically not hostile. Typically, if they're coming to our seminars, they're teachers who want to teach something good. I'll give you one quick anecdote. Uh, Yeah, please. A couple of years ago, uh, I was at a training seminar in Peoria. And uh, at the lunch break, one lady did not leave her seat. She was sitting there just writing, writing, writing. And I said, you know, hey, go get yourself some food. (laughs) You need to eat. And she was just in tears. And she said, this is so good. I have to tell you a story. She said, she said, I was at a school over in the Bloomington Normal area and they had this really terrible sex education program and I couldn't teach it. I just, I couldn't do it. And they said, well, you're going to do it. You're either going to do it or you're going to find yourself another job. And she said, "I, I can't do it. And so they fired her. Wow. She was at a new school over in the Peoria area. And she said, I just started the school and my principal gave me this material that came to him in the mail from you. And he said, why don't you go to this seminar? And she said, I'm here today and I'm just in tears because this is what I want to teach. Hmm. Wow. Uh, um, And so was she fired? Yes. Oh, yes. my she gosh. Fired from that others. That's what I'm saying. She got fired. Yeah. Wow. The sex ed. So wow. she got hired by another school in the Peoria area. Oh, I see. Gotcha. I understand. Yeah. 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 Wow. Well, Here, that's, go, go to this. That's a, that is that's the perfect story for what you're trying to do and accomplish. Yeah. Uh, 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 Scott, in, the, in a world where we watch literally federal funding flow all over the world and fights yeah. over it. You know, we know Planned Parenthood gets almost $900 million a year. That's yeah. what we know. They get a lot more in other places and spaces and affiliates and all that. Is it, is there an, uh, support for abstinence? And, and specifically we're talking with Scott Phelps right now, the abstinence and marriage education partnership is his organization. Is there government money for this? Is it, do you want that? Or do you want more? How does that fit together? Yeah, actually, (laughs) I'm really not in favor of government funding of these programs, because what happens is, you know, with shekels come shackles, you've heard. Yeah. And that's true. Right. And so, yes, the yes, there is some funding out there, but there are also strict requirements tied to it. Most of the funding that is provided is, as you say, for Planned Parenthood style sex education programs. There is a little bit of funding available for they don't even call it absence anymore. They now call it something sexual risk avoidance. 
It's a very sort of moderated messaging. And what tends to happen is the federally funded programs tend to not give a very clear and precise message on abstinence until marriage, what marriage is, why marriage matters. It tends to be a very um, soft, you know, hey, you know, you should wait a while. You should learn to have a healthy relationship. And it's it's not terrible, but it's not really good. It's not really crisp. And so I actually uh, am not in favor of the federal funding because most of it funds things that aren't good or aren't very helpful. Yeah, it's that is a catch twenty two. It's and and you hear it so often, especially say in the homeschool in the homeschool environment. They people say, well, you know, you got to be really careful because you don't want those ties. Scott Phelps again is our guest, and uh, he has a long history of working in uh, pregnancy uh, centers and and serving others and uh, on the on the uh, pro life front. And his organizations, the a- organization, the Abstinence and Marriage Education Partnership, ampartnership.org dot org is their website. Huge amount of resources. Scott on the culture front it feels like the woke craze has maybe uh, the fever has broken a little bit and people are more willing to say you know uh, what they what they think about things is that happening with regard to sexualization did the gender problems the, the insanity of gender somehow help us break out of of and and let people be more comfortable saying no i want something more normal you know that's a good way to put it that perhaps the fever has broken i sure hope so ed yeah uh, because the way I put it is, I say this, every day our work becomes more difficult, hmm. but every day our work becomes more necessary. Yeah. And there is a sense, as you're saying, another way that I like to think of it is the darker the night, the brighter the light. Right. Right. And so our message does, I think, gain traction the further we go over the falls. And I think people are beginning to wake up and realize that, you know, hey, what what have we done here? And so I think that there is a appetite for clear, helpful messaging. And so, yes, I, I think people's eyes are being opened a little bit. I think that video from Planned Parenthood getting out on social media, as I've seen it in a couple of different places, helps people to see and to realize that, hey, wait a minute, what in the world is going on here? And so, right. yes, let's hope that the fever is broken. Let's hope that well, people are coming out of their stupor. I think it's uh, a large part of it is uh, is uh, leaders like you and all of us slogging away day after day after day. It's not going to break it in one uh, fell swoop, but it's doing it its part. So we got to run. I'm against a hard break. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. That was Scott Phelps. I'll put a link up to his website, uh, which is ampartnership.org. Be right back on the Pro America Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to talk with John Schlafly. John Schlafly, of course, writes a weekly column. His column is entitled The Schlafly Report. He writes it with his brother, Andy. It takes two of the younger Schlafly's to keep up with their mother. The late Phyllis Schlafly wrote a weekly column for, I don't know, four decades. Um, I remember her telling me once about she was describing someone who said she was a a certain person said she was going to start to write a column. And she said, you know, a column a week. How hard can that be? And Phyllis chuckled and said, wait till about six or seven columns in and you got to keep writing. So uh, that's what John and Andy do every week. And this week's column, the title is SCOTUS should end favorism to anti-Trump 
prosecutors. John, welcome back. How are you? Thank you, Ed. That uh, I, my <laughs> brother and I, you know, we try to get our titles shorter. I keep telling Andy the titles need to be short. So uh, we got it shorter than it used to, than it was, but it could be shorter still. Now it is. It's funny that to, to you say. It's funny you say that because for, 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 for about, well, well, of course, Trump's yeah. uh, petition in the Supreme Court, you know, asking us to, in due course review on this terribly important issue that that the Supreme Court has never considered before in its entire 240-year history, and to do it now before Trump has to go to trial. So we'll see what happens there. John, before we get down into the details, you know, we talked about this once before. Uh, we're talking with John Schlafly about due process and this notion of an impartial tribunal and and actors that are on the up and up. And whether it's Fannie Willis now, who may or may not have lied under oath about when about the aspects of her relationship with the man she hired to be the special prosecutor or Jack Smith arguing one week or a few weeks ago that he must uh, proceed, you know, with uh, out review. And then next week arguing for review. I mean, uh, there but but the. the the overwhelming feeling is that it's anti-Trump at every level. Now, I know that's right. I know you agree with that. But how broken is the system if that's happening at every level? It's not one court. It's not one location. It's all across the country right now. Well, that is certainly true. And you, and that's true in the uh, two New York cases, three New York cases, which are pending right. against Trump going on right now. Uh, one of them had a hearing today in which... Uh, the judge, after sitting on Trump's very, very well-written motion to dismiss, giving many reasons why the case was bogus, they simply tossed it off without, uh, uh, you know, without any real consideration. And so, yes, the whole system appears to be anti-Trump, and and it's ironic that these Merrick Garland appointed special counsel, uh, Jack Smith, and by the way, he had. Yeah, I think it's now coming into view about how the Biden's attorney general, Merrick Garland, appointed two separate special counsels, one of them to be tough on Trump, the other to be easy on Biden. Now, right. how fair is that? It's totally unfair. Yeah. But it, 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 in, in any it, case, so Jack Smith, who is the attack dog uh, on Trump, and he's saying, oh, don't worry, uh, we have norms in the Justice Department, and certainly the Justice Department would never abuse its power to uh, prosecute a former president. And this is a unique circumstance, and Trump is a uniquely bad person. He's worse than any other president in history, and that's the reason why he's been uh, he's being prosecuted, but don't worry, we won't prosecute future presidents yeah. the same way. Now, yeah. that's exactly what he's filed in a filing he just posted uh, at the Supreme Court to defend his case. I mean, um, it's astounding. It, it's outrageous. It is. It is outrageous. That's what I mean. It's just so but it's so sweeping at this point. It's uh, everywhere. You turn. Let me let me go for one second to what happened in the case we, you were writing about. Um, and that is to some to summarize it. Uh, usually when you appeal something and lose, you have a chance to go 
either to the full court of appeals, it's called en banc, or to the Supreme Court, and you have time to work that out. In this case at hand, the Jack Smith case, the one in D.C., the court actually ruled against Trump and then said, and if you don't appeal within a, a week or so, then we will let this go into effect. In other words, we know you have rights to appeal, and we know usually you get time to do it, but in this case, we have to, we're going to make you do it faster. Again, no reason for that. There's no, I mean, if they showed this much urgency, and of, of, of concern to move it along with the many, many uh, January 6th defendants who have been in jail awaiting trial or awaiting appeals. Uh, you know, it's but it's stunning. And again, it's 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 just like another day, uh, you know, another walk in the park that not no real outcry from the, the bar, no real outcry from law professors or anything. It's just like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. And and of course, Jack Smith filed his his uh, documents within like a, a day or so after Trump did his. So they're moving it along again at a certain point it's so obviously targeting the candidate trump but it's not no one is reacting i mean other than republican uh you know uh, lack of a better phrase partisans people that care about are yelling and you're yelling and i'm yelling but there's not any change it's in the hands of the supreme court now and the supreme court does have the opportunity to right the ship at least in the respect of the timing and the opportunity of every person, including Donald Trump, to have his day in court. And as you say, Ed, anybody who has had experience with the legal system is frustrated about how time-consuming it is and how long you have to wait to get any response. But suddenly, in the case of Donald Trump, the lower court in D.C., you know, short-circuited all the usual deadlines and and basically, you know, choked off the very, even the opportunity to appeal and bank to the D.C. Circuit by saying he if he did that, he would lose his stay. Uh, so now Trump has to go to the Supreme Court to ask the court, Supreme Court to tell the D.C. courts to simply follow the same rules that apply to everyone else. So that's where we are. Um, John, uh, I would be remiss. And when you wrote this column, it's one of the challenges of writing a weekly column. You're trying to write ahead a little bit. Uh, but the Fannie Willis story has broken wide out into the open now. And the hearings that she's on, on Thursday, it looks like um, even MSNBC is saying, you know, if things are going the way it looks, this is over. She, Fannie Willis lied to the court uh, and, and she will be disqualified again. Will this change the way uh, everything is being managed? It's almost like it doesn't we don't care how shameless it is. We'll go on to the next one. Well, what the judge should do is to not just disqualify Fannie Willis, but to disqualify her entire office. And that would mean that it would have to be another district right. attorney in a different county in Georgia who would then have the option about whether to take up the case. And, you know, very likely he might not even do it. So that's what should happen. Well, and all, it's in, and, and, in the hands of a judge now. Well, and also our friend uh, Jeff Clark has uh, written, or at least I've, I guess I've heard him talk about it, that the uh, attorney general of, of Georgia has a has an opportunity at some point to get into these cases. There's a lot of points he could have gotten in. He didn't. But at this point, you would think if there was an opportunity to try to stop Georgia and and its counties from being the embarrassment of the world, they would want to step into it. But uh, again, John, um, and I know you have to have it. 
you have to have the Supreme Court as the backstop. But it's worrying that we're having these things have to go to the Supreme Court when they're so blatantly, like in your column, so blatantly obvious, the bias. And it's yet it's got to go to the Supreme Court to be sorted out. That's that's not ideal in terms of uh, how we want this system to work. It certainly isn't ideal. And uh, some of Trump's important cases are in the state of New York judicial system. And I have no idea what to expect when those cases are appealed. Uh, Of course, they're all Democrats. Uh, Judges at every level are all Democrats now. Um, In fact, uh, last year, you may recall, Ed, that uh, when the governor, Kathy Hochul, appointed a Democrat who was considered a bit moderate to the highest court in New York, the Democrat-controlled state Senate refused to confirm their their own Democratic nominee, and they forced the governor to come back with a more radical, more progressive Democrat for the Court of Appeals there. So that's what Trump is dealing with, and his whole, not only his personal freedom, but his entire life's work, his business is on the line in those courts. That's and it. it's just tragic. It's outrageous. It's amazing to watch it. All right, John Schlafly, we're out of time, unfortunately. Uh, it goes so fast. John Schlafly's his weekly column is over at phyllisschlafly.com. This one is SCOTUS should end favoritism to anti-Trump prosecutors. Check it out there. we got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. In 2023, many conservatives proved that they were able to stand up for what's right and take the media heat regardless of the consequences. Their shining examples present to us what to do and how to act as we face political adversity going forward. House Representative Elise Stefanik from New York, who's not even a member of the Judiciary Committee, outshone Republicans on that committee by calling out the tyrannical D.C. federal judges. She filed a stinging ethics complaint against District Court Judge Beryl Howell for the judge's appallingly biased statements against Donald Trump and his supporters while their cases are pending. Elon Musk earns a shout out for his outspokenness against censorship and his restoration of banned users to X, formerly known as Twitter. Musk also criticized globalists and his ambitious plan to establish a new non-woke college in liberal Austin, Texas, surpasses all the liberal philanthropy combined. Out in Hollywood, Kelsey Grammer overcame opposition to achieve smashing success for the Jesus Revolution film, grossing nearly four times its production cost. Grammer merits further applause for reaffirming his support of Donald Trump in an interview with the anti-Trump BBC earlier this month. Two musicians scored conservative triumphs this year to the consternation of the left in the music industry. Jason Aldean recorded the number one hit song, Try That in a Small Town, which extols conservative small town values and achieved the most weekly sales for any country tune in over a decade. 
Oliver Anthony would win the conservative Grammy of the year if such an award were given for his hilarious self-release song, Richmond North of Richmond. His lyrics include, I wish politicians would look out for minors and not just minors on an island somewhere, referring to the liberal-controlled Jeffrey Epstein cover-up. The left wants to dominate on all fronts and push their progressive agenda without exception. It is necessary to learn from these examples and recognize that we have to fight back, whether it's in government, business, or culture. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The hypocrisy and lies of the liberal media are alarming and even incite public unrest. But the fake news and the commentators whose slant coverage are finally being exposed. At phyllisschlafly.com, we promise to provide timely alerts and take effective action on your behalf. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. So uh, here's what I wanted to finish up with today on the Pro-America Report. I wanted to describe why this is a very important moment for the future. I, I mentioned in the earlier segment at the Open the Wink about federalism and how the states relate to the federal government in terms of the power structure. One example of that, which I don't think I went into in my uh, wink earlier, is... Um, the uh the the national the um it's not tradition it's the practice that uh every um corporation needs to be incorporated in a state uh you don't or and i guess in the district of columbia district two or maybe even puerto rico right uh, but you don't incorporate your business with the federal government you do it in states and different states have different rules and over time, for decades and decades, the different places have different had different rules, including, for example, Delaware had a well-known system uh, of protecting uh, their um, the, uh, the their courts were very corporation friendly. So it became a place where lots of corporations that wanted to start. That's where they started. Okay, so that's kind of a well-known thing. It's gone on forever. Now, recently, Elon Musk had this situation where he was in Delaware court. Someone brought a claim against SpaceX, and they said that the contract that SpaceX signed with Elon Musk eight or nine years ago uh, for compensation, which uh, was by all industry standards, at the time, they said Elon Musk is signing a deal. He will probably never hit it. Therefore, he's crazy to do this deal. Turns out he did hit it in terms. It was a mess. It was like something like you'll get paid this amount of money if you increase the value of the company by a thousand percent. And nobody's ever done that. And he did that. And so the payout was billions of dollars. But the company's now worth billions and billions of dollars. So anyway, the point is the Delaware courts sided with this individual who was objecting, even though all the rules of the corporations, all the laws of the state were abided by, except the court said it was not in the interest of the corporation. And they sort of came up with this loosey-goosey. This is my description. I, I'm not an expert on this part of the law. Um, a a loosey-goosey definition that, oh, the, the interest should be uh, different. That's too much money. And there you have it. Well, Elon Musk did what Elon Musk does, which he said, you know, um, I'm going to look at moving and I'll get out of Delaware. Now, 
you do, as I mentioned earlier, you don't have to be when you're a Delaware incorporated company. That's where you use the uh, that's where you that's where the the challenges in court can be and all. But you can't have your headquarters, your practical headquarters somewhere else. I think SpaceX has uh, it's it's practical headquarters. It's day to day executives in Texas anyway. But anyway, but but as to a bunch of the filings and the rules and the, and there are some tax implications. You file where you 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 uh, your incorporation place has some meaning. And more importantly, it's those courts that look at you. Now, let me pause and tell you, this happened to the NRA. The NRA was incorporated over 100 years ago, I think close to 130 years ago, in uh, maybe not, I take that back, about 100 years ago, a little, about 100. 100 years ago, the NRA was incorporated, and the incorporation took place in New York City. Um, in New York State. So I'm not sure it was New York City. Uh, I, there's one other nonprofit I know of that was founded in the 1940s. It was New York is where they did it. That's where a lot of people were. That's where businesses were. And a lot of times these corporations, even nonprofits uh, like the NRA, were founded in a place where some of the supporters who were basically the starters of it were. So the NRA is incorporated 100, uh, almost 100 years ago in uh, New York moves to Virginia, where most of its work is based, a huge amount of its work is based, and a lot of its work is based on um, political uh, um, uh, production, uh, ads and mailings and all that go out to all the states, but also in Washington, obviously, Washington, D.C. So they have a big headquarters and they're based there. Well, the attorney general of New York, Letitia James, the same one that's doing this to Trump, said, I'm going to go after the NRA. I don't like guns. And she basically pulled the string. And I'm not saying the NRA did everything perfectly. They did some things that were poorly done, poorly managed, like every business, especially nonprofit I've ever seen. There's some things that were done by this is how we do it. And this is just the way it was. And we don't really know who decided that. All those kinds of things happen, especially in a nonprofit. Any nonprofit, you do that, too. You go into a university, go into a, a church, go anywhere, you'll find it's it's generally a uh, a, a poorer quality uh, of of sort of um, uh, um, maintenance of of all those norms in a business. It's a little harder charging, maybe. But anyway, be that as it may. So NRA has been basically crippled by the experience of being dragged into court in New York. So Elon Musk uh, decided I'll go to Texas and he's now in Texas. He filed a SpaceX move to Texas. And here's my caution. I'm not sure that's a solution. Because I think that the states, as I'd said in my column over at uh, AMAC, another AMAC.us uh, is the website, and AMAC is another nonprofit, um, and they do lots of stuff and, and help uh, older citizens. But um, the, the uh, I'm not sure that's a solution because, as my article on federalism said, you're going to have a shifting, um, you're going to have challenges, and Texas is going to have challenges because, especially the immigration question, they're they're changing. I would go to a redder state. And so my pitch is to West Virginia, the governor is named Justice, and there's a new governor coming in next year. There'll be a race for it. But my pitch to West Virginia is you can get to West Virginia from uh, Washington, D.C. in an hour. You can get there from uh, from uh, uh, Philadelphia in an hour. You can get to there from uh, Boston in five hours. You get there by plane. My, West Virginia ought to become the incorporation, the, the corporate friendly uh, jurisdiction, because that's a red state. That's a red state. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, but Musk is showing the way. And again, that shouldn't be a problem. People should be happy to see our system 
federalism, our republic, allowing the shifting. If you want to be crazy in Delaware, and as the um, Hunter Biden said in one of his emails, I think it was, he said, look, I own the Bidens own the chancery court in Del- Delaware. That's the, the courts that uh, oh, supervise all those corporations. And uh, what he meant by that is they've been in office. Uh, the Bidens have been in office for 50 years. Uh, Bo Biden was attorney general uh, of the state, the late Bo Biden. And of course, uh, Senator Biden, Joe Biden. So uh, Hunter Biden bragging about it. So it doesn't sound like a friendly place to be if you're Hunter Bi- uh, if you're Elon Musk or many others. So that's my tip. That's what you uh, need to know. Uh, a little extra, extra. And we got to run. Thank you, Ryan Hyde, Mason Mohan, our producers on all this stuff. They do a great job. Thank you for tuning in. Go to ProAmericaReport.com. Check it out and sign up for the Daily Wink over at phyllisschlafly.com. Talk to you soon. It's Ed Martin right here on the Pro America Report. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.